This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in to another episode of the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Great show on tap. Former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Jeff Allen will join us to preview the AFC West playoff race, talk about the Kansas City Chiefs resurgence, and maybe a little bit about his brand new cookie business as well. We have a whole lot in store and what may be an abbreviated episode on this Thanksgiving holiday of the Matt Lombardo Show. But before we get into all of it, if you enjoy the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you went ahead and subscribed in the Apple Podcast store spotify soundcloud spreaker any of your favorite podcast platforms to the fan-sided stacking the box nfl podcast it's a great feed you get two great podcasts for the price of none you get matt verderam and mark carmen every tuesday and the matt lombardo show every friday and if you really enjoy my podcast if you love the matt lombardo show you like the guests you like the analysis please go ahead and leave a five-star review for stacking the box and mention the matt lombardo show it really helps grow the show let me know what you like what you don't like and maybe a guest or two and i'll go and try to get them on in future weeks and really i think we learned a lot about a couple of contenders over the past 10 days not just what happened on Thursday during the Thanksgiving games, but also the game of the week and one of the biggest games of the year last Sunday afternoon between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, the Cowboys have now lost two of three and three of four, three of those games against the AFC West. I think that goes to show probably not a whole lot about the Denver Broncos, who I think still have a long way to go before being considered legitimate Super Bowl contenders. But I think it goes to show you just how much stronger the AFC West is overall than the NFC East. And I think the Cowboys, look, the NFC, I think, is a lot more competitive than the AFC because I think you have better teams on that side of the bracket. You talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers led by Bruce Arians and Tom Brady. You look at Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers probably now the team to beat. But then I look at the Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals as kind of in that tier 1A in the NFC Super Bowl race because I'm not so sure that I know that Cliff Kingsbury can close. I'm not so sure that Kyler Murray is going to be able to stay healthy through this second half stretch run that's so important if you're going to make a dash to the playoffs or the Super Bowl. But the last 10 days have told us a lot about the Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs, really. You look at the Chiefs and they're playing some of the best defensive football of the season after turning it around by making some changes in the secondary, bumping Chris Jones back inside, which I don't know why Steve Spagnolo in the first place really moved him from the three tech over to defensive end. He's so much more dominant and he played like it against the Cowboys last Sunday. And then you look at the Cowboys really struggling against the Las Vegas Raiders on Thanksgiving Day in a game that, listen, Thanksgiving has always been the showcase event outside of the Super Bowl for the NFL. That's where you have the most casual eyeballs on the screens. You have big family gatherings around the turkey, the stuffing, the pumpkin pie. Hope you enjoy your dinner, by the way. But a lot more people watching the NFL than normally do on a regular Sunday and maybe not as many people who are tuning in to every primetime game. But to have 26 exempted penalties, over 260 penalty yards... 
I don't think that was a ringing endorsement for the NFL and the product that they want to sell. I also think that we kind of had our eyes opened a little bit about the Dallas Cowboys secondary because that defense was playing really well, punching above its weight, knocked off some teams that kind of made you think, okay, maybe they're turning a corner. They kind of came back down to earth over the last couple of weeks. And I'm not ready to make any sweeping generalizations about the Cowboys without Amari Cooper, without CeeDee Lamb, who I think they are the two most important weapons to that offense around Dak Prescott, not Ezekiel Elliott, not Tony Pollard. And to have your top two wide receivers out of commission, it's really hard for me to make too many sweeping judgments against an offense that scored 33 points. And I know that seven of those points came on a kickoff return by Pollard, but I'm not ready to write the Dallas Cowboys off yet. But I will say... For all of the talk that we've had on this podcast, for all of the things I've written over the last couple of weeks, the Cowboys didn't get to hang that NFC East Championship banner on Thanksgiving. Instead, they played their way into a race. And you look at the Philadelphia Eagles schedule, and the Eagles, they're playing on offense as well as anybody right now, especially running the football. And you look at the Philadelphia Eagles down the stretch, it's a really manageable set of games here that could really set up a de facto NFC East Championship game in Week 18 between the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, look at this finishing stretch for Philadelphia. Of course, they have the Giants on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. They go back to MetLife Stadium against the Jets the following week. They host the Washington football team. They host the Giants. They get Washington again, and they get the Dallas Cowboys over the final six weeks of the season. If they go 4-2 or 5-1 over that stretch, they're going to win the NFC East. But the Dallas Cowboys still control their own destiny because I think that they have the, the more balanced offense. I think they have the better defense overall. They just need to get healthy. But I'll say this about that win for the Kansas City Chiefs 10 days ago. I told you we'd talk about two contenders. One, the Dallas Cowboys. The other, the Kansas City Chiefs. And that was, at least when the game ended on Sunday, in my opinion... Even though it was at home, even though the Cowboys are banged up, that defense was playing some of its best football of the year, Dallas's defense was, going into Arrowhead. And for the Chiefs' defense to make the statement that it did, holding the Cowboys to nine points, it made it, a lot of people, myself included, believe that the Kansas City Chiefs are back. I don't think necessarily that Patrick Mahomes is back because Mahomes didn't light it up that game. I don't think Patrick Mahomes really set the world on fire, and I think that he's still having an up-and-down inconsistent season. He finished 23 of 37 for 260 yards and an interception. That's not the kind of Patrick Mahomes performance that we've come to know and love from the multiple-time MVP. But you look at their schedule. And you have an AFC West competition, and I wrote about this last week. He's something Mahomes is like 17-3 and three against AFC West competition. They have the Broncos on Sunday in Arrowhead. I love Kansas City's chances there. They get the Raiders. They get the Chargers. Pittsburgh at home at Arrowhead. They have the Bengals who have really collapsed. And you finish up in Denver against the Broncos in Week 18. The Kansas City Chiefs are the team to beat in that division, other than Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers, who I think could also make a run. I don't think that after what we saw on Thanksgiving from the Dallas Cowboys, you can elevate the Chiefs to the heights that I thought we could have when that game finished last Sunday, if that makes sense. Because I don't think the Cowboys are as dominant as we thought they were, and certainly the Chiefs defense, while playing well, and there are multiple ways to win in the NFL, there are multiple ways to win a Super Bowl, and defense still is vitally important. 
The Chiefs, if they're back, it's because the defense will carry them. And I don't know based on the first five or six weeks that you can trust the Kansas City Chiefs defense in the postseason. Eventually, if they're going to win the Super Bowl, if they're going to beat the Baltimores and the Chargers and the Bills and the teams that are in the AFC hat, for lack of a better metaphor, because I don't think any of those teams are any good, but if the Chiefs are going to emerge from that hat, their defense might need to carry them. And I don't know that we've seen enough to anoint them as being able to do exactly that. On the other side, we'll talk more Kansas City Chiefs with former Chiefs offensive guard Jeff Allen right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stack in the Box podcast feed. You're the one everyone looks to for answers. Come rain or shine, the job must get done. And you're the one who makes it happen. We get you, Jackie and Fresno putting your employee safety first. And Manny in Chattanooga, whose local Granger team knows him by name. We're here for you and all the ones who get it done with 24-7 customer support and access to product specialists to help you find what you need. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, there really is nothing better than Thanksgiving, a holiday built around football and delicious food. And here to talk about all that and a whole lot more, former Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman Jeff Allen joins us. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen71. Jeff, how you doing, man? Thanks for taking a few minutes and happy Thanksgiving week. Happy Thanksgiving, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. Doing even better now that it's holiday season. I get to eat some turkey. Yeah, some turkey, some cookies, uh, some, yeah. some good brown drink, all of that good stuff. And, yeah. you know, things are just starting to turn around to get good for the Kansas City Chiefs. They knock off the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. And what may be the most impressive win that anybody has so far this season. What are your thoughts on where the Chiefs are right now based on everything you're seeing? I think they're in a good position. Uh, and I think it's great that they're playing their best football now and getting going because that's when you want to start getting good toward November, December, and taking that momentum into the playoffs. So it's really good to see. I think there's a ton of room of improvement for the, the offense, which is crazy to say. Um, but I think they're going to get their groove. I have a lot of trust in them. They have the best quarterback in football in my eyes. Great O-line, ton of skill position players. So I feel like they're going to get back on track. And just seeing the defense make this turnaround, it's just unbelievable. I, I knew they were a lot better than what they were playing. But to see them playing like one of the best defenses in the league is is truly something special. So I'm excited to see everything come together. No, I agree. And I think it's kind of fascinating the turnaround that we've seen from that defense, even over the last two or three weeks from where they were a month ago. And you brought up Patrick Mahomes. You know, you want a Super Bowl ring in large part to him dominating the AFC. It seems like right now they're winning with defense, though. What's the biggest difference you've seen this season from Patrick Mahomes, maybe compared to what you've seen him be able to do in years past? Turnovers. He's still putting up numbers. He's still, I don't know, it's the second in the league in passing yards or whatever. Still putting up touchdowns. It's turnovers. Some of them are his fault. Some of them are receivers dropping passes. Some of them are just plain flat out unlucky. So, you know, sometimes it goes that way. But I think in no way Pat is, he's going to fix those things and receivers are going to take some accountability, you know, with catching passes and Staying on the field on third down, I think, you know, the previous game against the Raiders, we did an excellent job on third down. We didn't turn the ball over, you know, so we saw an offensive explosion. The, the Dallas game, we were inconsistent, um, had a really good first drive, but outside of that, it was just a lot of inefficiencies on third down, drop passes, um, 
you saw Kelsey drop a pass that was an interception. It just wasn't consistent. And that's where you see, you know, us only putting up 19 points on the offensive side of the ball. For sure. And, you know, you talked about the turnovers. I agree. I think they dogged him in the first half of the year. Is there something causing those that maybe over the last two weeks he's been able to turn around? Because you look at the game against the Packers, you look at the game against the Raiders, certainly it yeah. looks like Mahomes is back. And Sunday, I thought he was really efficient outside of Micah Parsons making that big play with the strip sack. What have you seen him kind of do to turn that corner over the last couple of weeks? He settled down. He started to uh, he's starting to take what the defense has given him. And that was one of the biggest issues early on in the season. Defense were playing the two high shell coverages and taking away the deep play with Patrick and Stubborn and still taking those shots when he didn't have to. And that was forcing some throws, getting some interceptions there. There were some drop passes, which he, he naturally just squeezes the ball in there from time to time because it's belief. Um, but sometimes those passes are tough to catch, make a ricochet. Um, but now he's taking what the defense has given him. He's letting his receivers make plays after the catch. And he's settling down. He's, he's a little bit better in the pocket. He's stepping up more. He has the best interior offensive line in the NFL, in my opinion, between Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, um, Joe Tooney. Um, those three guys are solid. So to believe in those guys, knowing that the tackles can get DNs up the field and run them by, he can step up and make some plays there instead of flushing out of the pocket and getting the strip sack like he did against Parsons. Oh, for sure. And, you know, you look at the rest of the AFC and I find myself every week just scratching my head, right? Because it, compared to the NFC, where I can make an argument for three, four or five teams having legitimate Super Bowl aspirations, it seems like the further we go on in this year, as Thanksgiving approaches now in the rearview mirror, mirror and turning the attention to Christmas, it really seems like it's two teams again. It's the Kansas City Chiefs and the New England Patriots. How do you see that side of the playoff bracket shaping up from here on out? I feel the exact same way you do. I think it's New England and Kansas City right now, and it's because of their defenses. Um, we yeah, are I had playing. a friend of mine tell me he thinks that the Chiefs are back and that Mahomes is back. I think that the Chiefs and their defense are back. I don't know that they're winning because of Mahomes right now, and I'm with you. I think that Bill Belichick and that Patriot defense and the way they swarm to the football, I think that's what gives those two teams a real good shot here. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely their defense. And I would give the edge to Kansas City. The only reason I would give the edge to them is because of history and knowing what this offense can do and knowing who the quarterback is. I know that it isn't what we are, are accustomed to seeing, but I think they're going to flip the script and they're going to figure it out at some point. And we're going to see what we saw against Vegas more consistently. Um, but New England, they've always had good defenses, and it, it starts with Belichick. Um, Matt Patricia is back there. So they're always going to have a great game plan. They're, they're more of a they're going to play what they need to play to win the game. There's not anything set in stone for their defense. That's what makes them difficult for offenses because week in and week out, they show something different and they're going to do whatever they have to to beat you. They're going to take away your best offensive player and they're going to make it tough for you and they're going to challenge receivers. Um, but New England is definitely a threat, uh, but I definitely are going to, not just because I'm a former chief, I would give the edge to Kansas City. And, and, you know, you're a former chief. You're also a former Houston Texan. Yeah. What's the biggest issue facing Houston right now? Because you spent some time there. What's is what's ailing them right now? Is it fixable in your opinion? Maybe not this year, but certainly nah. long term. Yeah, I mean, anything is fixable, but it's going to take a while. I think they're in a rebuilding phase for sure. Um, figuring out things, getting the, getting the right players in there, the right coaches um, and, and, and building a, a good culture. I think that that's the biggest difference between, you know, winning and losing organizations. 
It's the reason why New England has an opportunity to win every year. It's the reason why now Kansas City, I mean, I was in Kansas City before Andy Reid got there and it, um, the culture wasn't as what wasn't, isn't what it is now. So what was the biggest um, difference once he arrived? Because there was a certain culture that he built in Philadelphia. Yeah. There's certainly a, a certain culture in places like New England and Green Bay and to a lesser extent, maybe a place like Dallas, sure. teams that are in the mix. What's, what was the biggest difference when Andy Reid got there? For the, biggest different, the biggest difference with him was he, he, let, he lets guys be themselves. Uh, he always says, let your personality show. You know, some coaches and some general managers, they come in and they try to, you know, change guys. And that's not what you want to do I mean. You know, guys are in the NFL for a reason. These are the best players on earth. Um, and you don't want them to change who they are. You do want to come in and instill values and have your culture. But let guys be themselves, coach them up the right way, teach them the how and the why. And I think that's the biggest thing with Andy Reid. There's no really ego involved. Um, and you have so much respect for him because of what he's done historically. So you're automatically going to have that respect. But to just see him, you know, on a personal level and the respect that he has for every individual, and he treats the, the first guy on the team um, just as good as the 53rd guy on the team. So everyone has a role and everyone's important in his eyes. And not everyone does that. And a guy from his coaching tree, or at least who spent a lot of time around Andy Reid, is David Culley. When you look at yeah. the Texans staff, do you think that Culley and that coaching staff that they have in place, that they're capable of orchestrating a turnaround and building that kind of culture? Yeah, I don't know much about the entire coaching staff there, but I do know David Culley personally. He's a great human being, a great football coach, and I do think he could bring a good culture there. That, that was very much, you know, needed there at this moment in time. So I think he could do it, but like I said, you know, you got to have the players. You know, as great as these coaches are, if you don't have the players, you're not going to win the games. I mean, that was the biggest issue in New England last year, and Belichick is one of the best coaches ever, if not the best. So you have to have the personnel first and foremost, and when you add a great coach to that, like, there's a real good opportunity that you're going to be in the run in the, in the Super Bowl run every year. So I think it, it starts with the personnel and then you add the right coach, which I think Cully could be the guy there. Now let's expand out a bit here and look big picture, because, of course, this is the time of year we talked about it, where the contenders and, and pretenders kind of separate themselves. Who of, of the teams that are in the hunt right now that you can make a case to win the Super Bowl? Who has the most dominant offensive line in the league? The most dominant offensive line? I'm going to say Kansas City. I think. That inside three, man, like they're so dominant. They're, they're, they're physically imposing. Um, they have fun and, and they can run the ball. I know when you look at the, the statistics, the Chiefs aren't running the ball very much, but when they do, they're very efficient. Um, and they do a lot of RPOs. That's why at the end of the day, you don't see a bunch of runs on the, on the, on the stat sheet, but they're calling them, Pat's just throwing them. Um, but I'm going to go with Kansas City. Um, it's amazing to see what they've done so fast with the turnover with all new five guys. And when you get a healthy right tackle, I think they're, they're the best. And, you know, if you were building an offensive line today, if Jeff Allen were the GM or the offensive coordinator or the head coach of a team, how would you build your, your, your premier top-notch offensive line? Because you're starting to see a lot more three-techs who are just dominating. Chris Jones yeah. comes to mind. Of course, Aaron Donald. They're playing at a much higher level inside. Does that put an added premium on guys like you, on, on offensive guards, rather than those hyper-expensive offensive tackles who really yes. were the anchors of lines back in the day? Yeah, I think, I think honestly, I'm gonna be, it's going to sound shocking to you, but I think the most important position on the offensive line is right guard. I primarily play left in the career, but right guard, the reason why is, 
most quarterbacks in the NFL are right-handed. And when you're sitting in the pocket, if a guy's getting pressure, like a left defensive tackle that's lined up on the right guard, if he's getting immediate pressure, bull rushing that guard into the quarterback's lap, he's riding a typical quarterback's line of sight. He's not able to step up. He can't follow through on throws. He, he doesn't even have to get a sack. He can disrupt the middle of the pocket. It changes the game. Um, so that's a that's great insight. I never really thought of it that way, but I guess it would be that way because rather than the blind side, you're going to be disruptive by bringing pressure it right in his face. The quickest way to the quarterback is inside. When you see defensive ends make sacks, you know sometimes they've been the corner, but where it's most effective is when they're going inside. So why not use it a three technique that can immediately rush inside? That's the quickest way to a quarterback. So if you can get a premier three technique, a Chris Jones or Aaron Donald, you know, a guy of that stature, he can completely wreck games. We saw it against Dallas. Chris Jones is the reason why the defense plays so well. You know, we saw the three and a half sacks, but he was getting pressured, playing and play out when they were passing the ball. So that ruined Dax Knight. Um, the DB, DBs did a good job, but they can have confidence in challenging receivers because they know there's going to be pressure. The ball has to get out. So um, if you can got to have a force inside, that that is the new model of the NFL. For sure. And Tom Brady's talked about it for years, how much he hates A-gap pressure. Peyton Manning yeah. talks about how disruptive it is with pressure up the middle. If you were in the league today, who's the defensive lineman, defensive tackle, defensive end, whoever, that's keeping you up at night, the night before a game, knowing you have to line up against him for 60, 65 snaps? It's still Aaron Donald. I still have nightmares about him. I've played him a couple of times. <laughs> I mean, that guy is unreal. It's, I mean, I could tell you a cool story. Um, oh, please do. <laughs> his rookie his rookie season, we played him in the preseason. And in preseason, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily, like you prepare, but you don't have a scouting report on individuals, especially rookies. So you don't, you don't really go back and look at college film. You know, you heard about guys in college, but sometimes it's different when you get in the NFL. Well, I remember lining up and seeing him. And I'm like, he's not a big guy. And he blew right by me. And I was like, wow. what the heck was that? And who the heck is this kid? And I just remember his rookie season, we were watching film and he was just dominating the league. And the offensive line coach said, you know, this is the next Warren set. He might be better. And everyone's like gasping. Like, I don't know about that, but it looks like it's true. Yeah, but probably even better. And yeah, just com- definitely better. going completely in another direction here. What are your thoughts on Dave Tobe as a coach? Because when you look around and, you know, you see guys like John Harbaugh, Mike Tomlin, even to a lesser extent, Joe Judge becoming head coaches after being, quote unquote, head coaches of their particular unit. Tobe's been one of the premier special teams coaches out there. Can he join that club as as a next NFL head coach and somebody you could see having success in that role? Without a doubt. Um, He's one he's one of the best special team coaches, if not the best of all time. and he knows the game. Don't get it fooled. Don't think he just knows special teams. He knows offense. He knows defense. He's active. He stays in and out of meetings. And he was he would join us in the offensive line room. He would go to offensive meetings. So he knows the games. He's constantly asking questions and seeking information. He's been around some of the best coaches, Levy Smith, Andy Reid, you know, being around guys like that and learning from some of the best. It only helps him. So I think, you know, he deserves an opportunity. I hope he gets one. I think he could do a heck of a job. For sure. And for you personally, how easy or hard was it to transition from tackle to guard? Because people talk about it all the time. You know, if you draft a tackle high who kind of struggles early, oh, we'll just bump him inside and play him at guard. He'll be fine. But how easy or hard is it? Is it as easy as people make it out to be? I can't imagine it is after playing the tackle position for so long, having to relearn a new skill set. 
it's one of the biggest myths in football. Um, and you do guys a huge disservice when you, when you, you think you can just throw them inside. Um, that happened to me. I, mean, I was a tackle primarily in college. I played left tackle, but I didn't have the stature of a, you know, a tackle. I was I'm six four, didn't have the longest arms. So, you know, like they threw me in that category and threw me inside. So I struggled my rookie year. I went from playing tackle, which you're on the island. It, it isn't as physical. You could be a little bit more patient, um, a little bit more strategic at tackle. And so going in guard and in the trenches, it's, it's, it happens right now. There's no time to think about it. There's no patience involved. It's full out war and you're banging with some big, heavy dudes. So it's a totally different mindset, let alone the physicality of it. So doing that to guys isn't necessarily, the, you know, some guys can adjust and I was happy enough that I was able to adjust to it, but it, it's not for everybody. What was the biggest difference for you going through that transition? Yeah, like I said, the physicality of it. Um, understanding that, you know, there's athletic guys at guard, but being you have to slow things down playing guard. Yeah. A tackle is a little bit more quick twitch. You got to get to certain spots, you know, certain points in the pocket that are different than, you know, guard is like right there. You can't overshoot a guy. You can't take the wrong step because it's the quickest way to get to the quarterback. If you take a false step, you know, the guy's going to blow through that A gap. <laughs> so, you know, that's the biggest difference is just being, you know, a lot more physical, being a lot more hands-on and not, you know, taking the wrong steps because you can't, there's no, there's not much room to recover a guard. And beyond that, beyond the transition from tackle to guard, you've made an even bigger transition in your world, in your life. And that's to the business world. Tell me about all the deliciousness and all the good stuff that you have going on with Cookie Society. And of course, that's at Cookie Society on Twitter for everyone. And if you enjoy this show and you like cookies like I do, you're going to love this. Go to cookiesociety.com and use promo code Lombardo Show 15. Just for our listeners, you get 15% off using promo code Lombardo Show 15. Jeff, tell me what you have going on there, how you got it off the ground, and what you have cooking over there at Cookie Society these days. Listen. I transitioned to the to an offensive lineman's dream to a baker, so <laughs> I started um, a cookie company with my wife. Um, it's truly her passion. We were in New York back in 2017, and we went to Levine Bakery, and I can remember tasting the cookie after waiting in line for 40 minutes, which was amazing. I was like, "Who's waiting in line for a cookie?" And then when I tasted it, I was like, "Oh, this is why." It was the best thing, one of the best things I've ever had in my life. And I turned to my wife, who was a college athlete like me and super competitive. And I said, you can't do anything like this. Just jokingly, you know, it was like reverse psychology and that she was going to go try it. And she went home and she tried it. Couldn't kind of, couldn't figure out how to make it like Levine. And then she made her own cookie. And it's what birthed our business. I tasted it. Nice. I was like, this is amazing. Started taking it into a locker room. She started making different flavors and variations. What was the first flavor? What was the first flavor the that made first you flavor was, say, wow? It was chocolate chip. That was the first flavor. I mean, that's everyone's go-to. And then um, she made a banana pudding cookie. That was the sec that was the oh. first flavor where I was like, okay, I've never had anything like this. This is different. And you should start a business. So that's kind of sparked the idea. We thought of the name. Um, we formed LLC. I was still playing at the time, but even while I was playing, we were still doing farmers markets pop-ups uh, and, and working at a commercial kitchen in the off-season. So, you know, this was in the, in the making even before I was retired. I love it. How do you guys come up with the recipes, and what's your favorite so far? I know you brought up the the chocolate chip and the banana pudding, but what, what's the what's the process there? And what, I know it, it's got to be like picking your favorite kid, which is impossible to do. Yeah. But what's the favorite cookie that you've tasted that you guys have made so far? 
Well, we have over 70 flavors, so there's a lot to like. But my, <laughs> my favorite, just, just based off of nostalgic, you know, thoughts is just the banana pudding because that's what sparked the idea. But right now on the menu, my favorite cookie is probably going to be the, the peach cobbler cookie. Nice. And, and all the ideas basically come from inspiration. My wife walker, walks around the grocery store. It could be something seasonal. Like right now it's Thanksgiving. So what do you think of a Thanksgiving? You think of, you know, pecan pie. You think of apple pie. You think of those th different types of desserts. So we're like, hey, let's make that into a cookie. You know, we had pumpkin pie last month, you know, when the fall kicked off. So things like nice. that. Nice. And of course, go to cookiesociety.com. Use promo code Lombardo Show 15 for 15% off your order. Now, Jeff, I got a bone to pick because I'm a, I'm a sugar cookie guy. The sugar cookies on your website look amazing. But where's the love for the snickerdoodle? I feel like the snickerdoodle may be the most uh, underrated cookie out there. That is a fact. That is a, that is a very underrated cookie. That's one of, our, one of our best sellers when it is on the menu. Nice. Um, but unfortunately... There's only so many cookies we can keep on the menu monthly. So we, we decided to keep like, you know, chocolate chip, banana pudding, cookies and cream, salted caramel, have a frosted oatmeal. And there's one more cookie that I'm missing, I'm sure. That's a classic flavor for us. And then the other four flavors, we rotate them. You know, we're trying to get, you know, something fun on the menu each month. So we, we got to make room. I love it. And I'm going to, I'm certainly going to check it out at cookiesociety.com. Follow the business at cookie society and follow Jeff Allen on Twitter at Jeff Allen 71. Jeff, this has been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed the insight. I'm already, you know, thinking about the cookies that are going to show up in my mailbox, hopefully in the next couple of days, really appreciate the time. and look forward to talking to you further up the road, my friend. Uh, thanks for having me, Matt. You have a good one. Awesome insight there from Jeff Allen, and maybe it's time that we stop talking about how easy it is for offensive tackles to shift to guard. Maybe it's time that we improve the scouting process and involve more voices who have played the position, involve the offensive line coaches even more in evaluating the tape and breaking it down, because... It takes a lot of effort to go from tackle to guard. So maybe we should stop that process. And maybe it's time to check out cookiesociety.com and use promo code LombardoShow15. On the other side, I'll break down the biggest news of the NFL week. And that, of course, is the New York Giants firing of Jason Garrett. And my take next, right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, inside Fansided Stacked in the Box podcast feed. Welcome back in. And once again, really enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Allen. And you got to check out his cookies. They're delicious. Go to cookiesociety.com. And of course, my listeners using promo code LombardoShow15 will get 15% off your order. That's promo code LombardoShow15. Go check it out. And you know, one thing that I'll be checking about this weekend is the team that I cover for Fansided's network, G-Men HQ. That's the New York Giants, and they made the biggest move of the NFL season this week when they made the overdue move of firing offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, and listen, this was a move that had to happen. It was inevitable, it was unavoidable based on how much the Giants offense has underachieved in recent years, but if there are Giants fans listening to this podcast today, if you're driving up to MetLife Stadium or you're running errands on a Saturday and you think that firing Jason Garrett is going to cure all the ills... I just don't know how that happens. I don't know how with eight games remaining, seven, eight games remaining in an NFL season that an offense can completely reinvent its identity 
over that span, even with Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. And you look at what happened on Monday night, a really lackadaisical showing from the offense, not pushing the ball deep downfield. And, and maybe that's the aspect that can change. Maybe the play calling and being more aggressive in the vertical passing game, perhaps that can unlock some of the potential of this offense because Jason Garrett couldn't seem to figure out how to involve first-round pick Kadarius Toney or $45 million guaranteed free agent signing Kenny Galladay in the deep passing game, which is really what suits Daniel Jones's skill set the best. That was one of the major reasons he was fired, as was the fact that the Giants have the worst red zone offense in the league, scoring touchdowns, something like 40% of their opportunities inside the 20. They're 27th in scoring offense, which is not going to get it done in a league, in a modern-day NFL that is predicated on pinball offenses and lighting up the scoreboard. And Daniel Jones didn't take that step, despite investing a first-round pick in Tony and signing Galladay. When you throw 29 interceptions through your first 37 starts, that muddies the evaluation process. And this season, more than anything else, more than competing for the NFC East title, more than breaking a five-year playoff drought, this season for the Giants was all about evaluating Daniel Jones, and it became clear as day and very evident that they weren't going to be able to make a full evaluation of Jones with Jason Garrett continuing to call the plays in this system. You're not going to create a new offense overnight. You're not going to recreate your system in the final seven or eight weeks of this season, but you might get more aggressive play calling. But big picture for the Giants, who find themselves in absolute salary cap hell, this coming offseason, even though you might have two draft picks in the top 10, maybe one in the top five, thanks to the trade made last year with the Chicago Bears during the draft, no changes are going to be made in terms of your long-term vision until Dave Gettleman is fired and you have a new general manager in place and you overhaul a scouting staff that has failed to build a roster capable of competing for the postseason despite picking in the top 10 of the draft three of the last four years. Until those things change, until you have a new direction and a new general manager and a new front office structure, I don't know how anything changes for the Giants. But Eagles-Giants is going to be wildly intriguing because these two teams play each other extremely close, extremely tough. There's obviously a lot at stake for the Giants in terms of revenge for how they believe Doug Peterson, the former Eagles head coach, handled Week 17. Some of those players are still there. Jalen Hurts, obviously. But there's added motivation from a revenge standpoint for the Giants. And for the Eagles, listen, this is a monumental game for Philadelphia. Nick Sirianni has found the running game with Miles Sanders now getting back. With Jalen Hurts, they've been able to piece together a system that manages his best traits, his arm strength, and the running game. To, to really turn things around here. And if they beat the Giants on Sunday, all of a sudden they're going to be nipping right at Dallas's heels. So that's a really big game. And obviously I'll be there at MetLife covering it for G-Men HQ and for Fansided. But you look across the rest of the league, I, we're going to learn a lot about the AFC North on Sunday when you have the Steelers and the Bengals going toe-to-toe -to -toe in, in, in Cincinnati. The Bengals have absolutely collapsed over the last two or three weeks since they were the number one seed. And we're going to find out if Pittsburgh is for real after they let Justin Herbert complete his fifth fourth quarter comeback of the season last Sunday night in thrilling fashion. And, of course, you have the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos in Arrowhead. The Broncos are feeling good about themselves two weeks ago, knocking off Dallas in Big D in AT&T Stadium. If they can knock off Kansas City, if they can kind of rattle Patrick Mahomes a little bit, that could be interesting. But the game of the weekend is the Monday night game, in my opinion, because... 
I've watched the New England Patriots this year. I've watched Mac Jones. I've watched that defense with the McCourty twins and Matt Judon and that defense just flying to the football. Mac Jones has been efficient. And the the Patriots now have a two-headed running attack. They have two really reliable and dominant pass-catching tight ends, which are really important to the development of a young quarterback. If they knock off Buffalo, who's been reeling, and Josh Allen, who seems to be regressing, if the Patriots win that game, they're going to now be in the driver's seat in the AFC East. And that could put them in the conversation, maybe even for the one seed in the AFC, because I think the conference stinks on ice. It might be New England and Kansas City and everyone else, as we talked about with Jeff Allen. This has been a lot of fun. It was a bit of an abbreviated podcast with the holiday. I moved. I moved this week on Wednesday, moved out of the old house, moved into a a much bigger house with soon to be a palatial podcast studio and football headquarters. But I wasn't going to let you off the hook. I wasn't going to let you go a weekend without the Matt Lombardo show. Always enjoy doing it. Always enjoy breaking down the league for you. Thanks, as always, to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson. He is instrumental each and every week in getting this podcast up and running. Thanks to former Kansas City Chiefs offensive guard Jeff Allen for stopping by. Be sure to go to cookiesociety.com and use promo code LombardoShow15 for 15% off your order. I can't wait to try the cookies. I'm sure you're going to love them as well. You can follow me on Twitter at MattLombardoNFL. Enjoy the games on Sunday. I'll talk to you next week on the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fanside and Stacking the Box podcast feed. Enjoy your week, everybody.